Suggestions for the Abolition of the Present System of Impressment in the Naval Service, published in 1822, reflected his experiences during the War of 1812, and its unorthodox views did not find favor in official circles and probably hurt his career prospects. Retiring from the Navy with the rank of post-captain in 1830, he embarked on a career as magazine editor, travel writer, and novelist. This was the heyday of the Victorian novel, and like his contemporaries Dickens and Thackeray, his writings made him a relatively wealthy man and allowed him to purchase an estate in Norfolk. As a writer, he sought to emulate Jane Austen and shared her sense of irony, keen observation of society, and skill in dialogue writing. Mr. Midshipman Easy was published in 1836, and like Peter Simple, Frank Mildmay, or The Naval Officer, and The King's Own, harks back to Marriott's Days at Sea. None of these tales should be considered autobiographical or necessarily reflect the reality of life afloat. Jack Easy has more money and gets to spend much more time ashore than any flesh-and-blood midshipman. However, some details in the story parallel events in its author's career. The kindly governor of Malta is clearly modelled on General Sir Thomas Maitland, who assumed that office in 1813, Easy's cruise aboard a captured vessel in chapters 14 to 16 mirrors an incident in the War of 1812 when Marriott successfully captured an American vessel but was not picked up by his ship for several days. Rescues of drowning shipmates reflect his own exploits, and subsidiary characters like the bullying senior midshipman who was thrashed by the hero and the faithful black servant turn up in some of his other books and almost certainly were modelled on folk he had met. The title of the book might suggest that it will be heavily laced with incomprehensible nautical jargon and other yo-heave-ho stuff, but since most of the action takes place ashore, this is not at all the case. However, for readers interested in this sort of thing, it may help to summarize the sequence of events in Chapter 25. The captain takes in the royals and reefs the topsails as they go about head to wind, tacking, first setting the topgallant sails above the reefed topsails and then taking them in. The mainsail is then taken in and they go about, turning away from the wind, wearing. Finally, the ship scuds before the gale under foresail and reefed topsails. Reefing in stays was a seldom executed maneuver because it could only be managed by a crack man-of-war's crew. The reef was taken at the moment when the topsails came aback when tacking or going about head to wind. This was difficult because it had to be done with the fore topsail thrown aback, although somewhat easier with the main topsail because it was momentarily becalmed by the fore topsail. The mainsail was goose-winged, by setting part of the sail on the lee side, bringing aft the main sheet and leaving the weather half of the sail furled. The speronare was a type of open boat using oars and lateen sails typical of Malta, Sicily, and southern Italy. The name was originally applied to the prow or ram of a galley, the 
Pig yoke mentioned in chapter 14 is an old-fashioned sextant. A couple of puzzling words must be misprints. At least they make no sense to me. Sat upon the armalest. The galliot's topsail is scored. Arms, chest, and gourd are possibilities. The historical background is the Mediterranean towards the end of the Napoleonic Wars, with England at war with France and Spain. The king referred to by Don Ribera da Silva is Ferdinand, king of Naples and ruler of the two Sicilies, who was restored to his throne by Nelson in 1800 after the defeat of the French in Italy. Malta had been under English control since 1799. Mariette clearly believed that phrenology was bunk, but it should be pointed out that he was far ahead of his time in this enlightened view.